something called the State of the Church Address. And I didn't coin that phrase. That was something my pastor does about once a year. Just to talk about you know, who we are as a church, why we exist, why we believe God's called us to this area, and why we do what we do. Because I think many times people come in and they're like, this is different, but they don't know why. And so um, I wanted to explain it to you guys that haven't been here from the beginning. A lot of you have been around since the beginning, and a lot of you are newer. And so um, I wanted to take some time to explain kind of the vision for what God has led us to down here in Ironton. So let me open up my notes and gather my thoughts. Father, I thank you for the story that I'm about to tell, uh, not because it's my story, but because it's your story. And Lord, I thank you that in each and every church there's a story for how things began and why things are done the way that they are. Lord, I thank you for the, the people you've allowed us to come into contact with and the way that you build your church and Lord, your desire to reach this valley with the gospel. And so, Lord, this morning, as we talk about, you know, the things that have happened in the past, Lord, I want you to be the central issue, the central cause for all that's taken place. And I want you to be glorified in all that I say and do. And so, Lord, I pray that you would guide and guard my tongue. And, Lord, use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So the State of the Church Address, you can imagine, is kind of coined after the phrase of the State of the Union. They give it uh, every couple years, is it, or is it every year? Yeah, every year. And so the idea is to go, okay, who are we? How did this all start? Where did we come from? Where are our beginnings? Where are we right now? And then what do we foresee in the future? What, what is the vision? Where are we going from here? And so Arcadia Valley Chapel started in 2013 in March. And it started with Matthew chapter 28. Um, where in the end of the gospel account that Matthew gives there in chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, Jesus said this, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I commanded you, And then he gives a promise. He gives a command and a promise. He says, the promise is, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And so he commands his disciples that have been with him throughout his ministry, right before he gets ready to, you know, to go to be with the Father. He says, I want you to go and make disciples. Disciples are disciplined ones. And what he does is he he basically gives authority to his disciples to go and, and proclaim the gospel, the good news of salvation. And so that's where Arcadia Valley Chapel started. And then it started another, with another component, a need. There was a family that had recently uh, started walking with the Lord. You might know them, Heather and Stacy Tedford. Uh, God did some amazing things in their life. They went through a time of extreme loss. They lost one of their boys to a four-wheeler accident. And when they lost that boy, they were broken. And I was talking yesterday about how in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, it says, Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And when we come to a place of loss in our life, we come to a place of need. And really the only thing that we offer Jesus is our needs. We don't have much to give him that he hasn't first given us. And so the church was really born out of brokenness. And so this family got saved, the dad and the mom, and they got married. You know, they'd been living together for years and they, as a sign of repentance, they were like, hey, I I think I need to get saved. And that was a sign of the Holy Spirit being in their life. 
And so they got married, and they decided, you know what? We want to go to church. Well, they, they were driving up to Farmington from down here. And it's not super far, but week after week, it can get expensive, and the logistics, and it's hard enough to get to church when it's closed. Sometimes the, the spiritual battle is on. And so they were driving up every you know once in a while, but they weren't able to come very often. And so we saw a need. We wanted to come down to where they were, and we knew that there were probably other families like them that would like to go to a church that maybe not as traditional as they're used to. They didn't want something from yesterday. They wanted something new, something that God was freshly working in. And so God uh, sent us down here through various circumstances. And so it was born out of a command from Jesus, uh, a need that was you know, perceived by us, and then a prayer. Uh, my pastor, Mike Harrison, was praying for this family, and the Lord kind of laid on his heart, you know, maybe it's time for us to go to them. Maybe there's other families that are like them that are, aren't going to be reached by traditional church because they don't feel comfortable there. And so um, he was praying, and then uh, there was preparation. Uh, there was a time where I was leading the youth group at Parkland Chapel, and I would get together weekly or bi-weekly with my pastor, and we would pray for the youth, we would pray for the church, and we would also pray that God would do a work in us because we still got stuff that needs to be worked out, sin and, and just impurities and, and wrong ideas about what church is supposed to look like. And so as we were praying and after we got done, he said, you know, I've been praying about this for a while. I'd like to go see if God would start a new work in Arcadia Valley. And so I said, okay, sounds good. Do you want me to just pray or like, what are you, what are you asking me? And he said, I'd like you to consider and to pray along with your wife about leading the Bible study every other week. And I said, I'm doing one right now anyway. I'll go down there with you. It'd be great. I said, what next? And he said, well, we're praying about a place to have it. You know, because we don't know a whole lot of families that have a house that they just want to invite everybody over to. So we need a place to have the Bible study. I said, okay, well, what are we going to do? He said, we're going to pray. So we prayed. And in the meantime, while I was at work, he was making phone calls and ended up getting a hold of a guy by the name of Bobby Powell. And we said, Bobby, we'd like to start a Bible study. And he said, sounds great. And he said, what do you want me for? And he said, well, we, we would like to use your facility. It's got chairs. It's got a sound system. It's got, uh, you know, it's on Main Street. It's easy to find. Um, is there any way we could rent the place on Sunday nights? And he said, yeah, no problem. We said, we'd like to use this back room for a children's church. And we, you know, is there any way we can get in here early and use your sound system? And, you know, how does that all work? We'd like to hang a projector screen. Uh, we would like to use a projector. And, like, we got a lot of needs. So we recognize that if you're not comfortable with this, it's totally fine. And he said, you can do whatever you want here. Just make sure it's back to where it was before you leave. Okay. So we started having church in totes. And every week in the back of my wife's car, we'd have totes full of stuff that we'd take down here. And then we'd go back to Farmington after church. Well, as time went on and people continued to come and we were able to teach the word, we taught through Mark. And uh, my pastor started saying, hey, you know... Uh, Maybe it's, well, before that, before we've tried to find our own facility, um, the Lord started laying on my heart. It's really hard to, to, to teach the Bible and to get to know people if you don't live where the people do. Think about it. Jesus didn't save us by telling us from heaven, hey, you can be saved if you trust in me. What he did was he left his comfort zone. He left heaven and he came down to earth and he dwelt among us. And so if my Savior did that, who am I to do otherwise? And so I said, Kelly, I, I believe that the Lord's calling us to move to Arcadia Valley. 
Well, she's from Annapolis, and she never saw herself moving back down here. She had nothing against it. She was just comfortable. And I get it. We, I lived in my house for seven or eight years, and so I said, I understand that, and I, I like our house the way it is, and I don't want to move. But I think God's calling us to, to get out of our comfort zone and, and to go and meet this need. And so she said, okay, you know, and we had a baby on the way. And so she's going, how's this all going to work out? You know, she's very pregnant by this time. And so we prayed and God changed her heart. About two weeks later, she would start looking at me again without crying if I talked about moving. And when we finally got to that point, uh, we had our house for sale. We were doing all that we could do. And the Lord gave us an offer from a couple that wanted to buy the house. It was a little bit lower than we wanted, but you know, it was cheaper to buy a house down here, so we didn't need as much. And so we said, oh man, what are we going to do? It was a Friday night. Somebody offered us money for the house. I guess we need to find a house. And I've been looking down here, and there's not always tons of extra houses for sale. It's not a saturated market with lots of new housing. It's, if anything, it's very stagnant. And so we've been looking at housing, and it was the same six houses we were interested in, but none of them really fit what we were looking for. We needed a fenced-in backyard for our dog. I needed a garage to put my ridiculous amount of toys in. And, and we just we couldn't find something that fit what we were looking for. And so as we prayed, the Lord um, opened our eyes. And that Friday night, as we had an offer for the house, there was a new one that just so happened to come up, up for sale. And it, was, it had no pictures. So we were like, Lord, uh, it, all the words seem to match up with what we're looking for, but who knows? And, of course, the Lord calls us to walk by faith and not by sight. He's like, why don't you just go look and see what I've done? So we came down, looked at the house. We walked up, and it was, it's a hundred-year-old house. But it had everything we were looking for. And I said, Kelly, this looks great, but uh, I, I wonder what the, the inside's going to need some work. I guarantee it. It's a hundred-year-old house. It just needs updated. So we walked in, and the house had just been remodeled. And we were like, okay, you know, full-time working trying to pastor, I didn't, a new baby, I, I didn't have time to just remodel, nor am I capable of doing that much remodeling without making it worse. And so uh, we found a house, our house sold, we signed all the papers on the same day, on September 13th, and a couple weeks later, a group of people moved us down in about four hours. And so we got moved completely, we're like, Lord, I just wish I knew if you were in this or not. And he was, right? It doesn't always make it easier, but sometimes it does. You know, he made it evident to us. And so we moved down. And so six months after we started the church, we moved down. And then after that took place, uh, we'd been down here, been having Sunday nights. And my pastor kept saying, hey, why don't you go find a permanent residence for the church? A place that you could use during the week if God gives the opportunity or the need. And so we prayed. You wouldn't believe at the empty amount of buildings down here. And yet no one would answer our calls or call us back. Uh, we even tried to to, buy, uh, to rent the place next to the ZX gas station in Pilot Knob, and they were like, you know, we sell liquor next door. And I was like, that doesn't bother me. I don't drink. You know, like, what's the big deal? And they were like, well, we, it kind of bothers us. You know, I don't know if they were afraid we we're going to mess up their liquor sales or what. We weren't we weren't there for that. We just wanted a place and a space to have church. And we know church isn't the building; it's the people that comprise the body of Christ. But we also need a place practically to meet. And so we, I was driving down the building and I was praying one Saturday and I drove by and this place was here. And I looked at it and I was like, it's right next to a parts store. It's not typically what you would think of when you think of church. But it was a space and it had plenty of room in it. Had some rooms in the back to have children's church. Had a bathroom. Got to have a bathroom, right? 
had lots of plugins apparently, tons of them, more than anyone would ever need. And, uh, and it used to be a gun store, so I'm in. It's the best place you could have church. And so uh, I, I called the number that was on the thing that was you know, pasted to the window. You can still see the tape marks back there. And uh, they said, yeah, it's, it's open and we'd love to rent it to you. So long story short, here we are. And the room was all empty. It had all the lights we needed. Um, it had no walls. All these walls that have all the wood grain, the simulated wood grain on it, they weren't here. And nor was the stage or the, the countertop out there. It was just a big empty room. So we had church. We faced that way. The projector was over there. And we had church on Sunday nights. And we had about a six by eight room in the back that was for children's church that's now been expanded for our nursery. Long story short, uh, my wife finally was like, we have to do something else. If the kids need to use the bathroom, it's in the middle of the sanctuary to go there. And uh, every time on Sunday nights, Lucy decided she was going to have a number two explosion in the old diaper. And so in a six by eight room with eight kids in it and an exploded diaper, it was not, it was not good. It was not a blessing to my wife or anyone else. I mean, even the kids were appalled. And usually kids will put up with a lot, right? And so uh, we expanded that room. We had a Saturday where I remember Herschel was there and, and, uh, and, and uh, Jacob. And, and we had a, a bunch of people come in and we just built walls. Steve Persley and, uh, and, you know, anyway, little by little we've made changes and we want this place really more than anything to be a place and a space for people to come and be able to spend time with Jesus and spend time with his, their brothers and sisters in Christ. And so here we are in this building. That's how we ended up where we are. So the first week that we met, my pastor taught on Acts chapter 2. And there in Acts chapter 2, so we see the beginnings of the early church. Um, you, if you want, you got your Bible, turn there. Because in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, there are some pillars that we really desire for our church to be modeled after. The early church was not perfect, but they did have some things in line. It says there in verse 42, that as their practice was, they continued steadfastly. There it is. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And then it says there in verse 43, As a result, fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And so continuing daily with one accord in the temple, there was unity, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. That includes non-believers. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so that's the desire, that the church would have unity, that they would follow Jesus individually and corporately, and that God would add to the church daily those who were being saved. And so the four pillars are, they continued teaching the apostles' doctrine, the study of God's word. And that I believe that needs to be central in all that we do. The worship, using our gifts, uh, blessing the community through acts of service. And then in fellowship, which is gathering together formally, regularly, to have church, to worship the Lord, to make Him preeminent in our lives, to share life with one another, and informally and informally in the community and each other's homes. And then number three, in the breaking of bread, or 
observing communion or sharing the Lord's Supper together. We usually do that the first weekend of every month. And practically sharing meals in each other's homes. One of the most intimate things that you can do that I think is no longer kind of an important thing is, is spending time at the dinner table together. You know, sometimes as families we don't even do that anymore. But that is where fellowship takes place. It's where we, we eat. It's where we talk about things. And so I would encourage you, and your families do that, but also invite people over from church that maybe you don't know, and, and that might spring up some relationships that will last a lifetime. Uh, Kate has had us over numerous times, and we've sat and talked about everything from baseball to just you know the deep things and the doubts and the worries of life. And so that's a way that we can get to know one another and bless one another. And in prayer... They communicated with God personally, praying with and for each other corporately as well. And so my desire is that as we grow as a church, as we mature, that these things would become pivotal in our church life. Now, we're not there yet. And, uh, you know, as a church, we're probably more of an infant than we are a teenage kid. I don't look forward to the teenage years. If you guys have ever had teenage kids... But, but at the same time, that's when all the growth takes place. And the biggest mess-ups can happen and then the biggest growth can happen. But as infants, we still have a lot to learn about uh, body fellowship. And so that's where we are right now as a church. So we talked through Mark. We've been through the book of Acts. And now we're in Romans. We're coming to the conclusion. And so what I'm going to continue to do is to teach the New Testament until God gives us the opportunity to do a little Old Testament study. So where we are now is our current location, and I already talked about that. But let's talk about some things that we do as a church and why we do them that way. Uh, the first thing I'm going to bring up is children's church. We do children's church the way that we do because, number one, kids are easy, easily distracted, but number two, adults are more easily distracted. I, I don't know about you guys, but I am. If there's a cute baby sitting two rows in the front, I'm not thinking about Jesus. I'm looking at that kid going, wow. That kid is beautiful. How did that happen with such an ugly dad? You know, I'm, not, I'm thinking that kind of stuff. I mean, it just, it's reality. Um, but, but God uses us in different ways, and different churches do children's church different ways. But what we want to do, we want to provide a safe environment for your children, for the children of the people you invite. We want to have a nursery back there that's staffed by someone who's, they're all background checked. We're not going to give you... You know, some random person we pulled off the street. We want to get to know them for about six months before we put anybody in any ministry in this church. But we also want a place and a space for the adults to get a break from the kids, especially new moms. And, and we also want the adults to be able to, to hear from the Lord. If there's anything I know about our culture and I experience daily, it's the, the noise. All the stuff that's always going on that distracts us from what matters most. Now, all those things matter too. But our, our source of life comes from our fellowship with God, and so we need that. And sometimes it's not till Sunday that we really get just time focused on that. And so knowing that we want a place in the space for you guys to learn on your level, uh, and, and giving me grace because as I'm learning to be a Bible teacher, but also giving uh, the children an opportunity to learn on their level. We want to see a godly generation raised up, and those kids aren't going to listen to me. They're not going to be as gracious as you guys are. My wife is way more fun, and I mean that wholeheartedly. And so she's called to do that, and I'm called to do this, and we want the kids to grow. As well as we need, you know, we're praying that God would raise up godly people that would change diapers and pray over your babies, you know, and, and teach them about Jesus at their level. And 
So uh, I skipped. Okay, number number two, uh, tithes. Uh, the way that we do tithing in this church is we don't pass the plate, not because that is wrong, but because we want that to be an act of worship between you and God. God sees what we give and what we don't give, and that's all on Him, and He's totally fine with that. And because of the way that traditional church passes the plate, I, people give whether it's right or wrong, compulsorily because they think people are watching them or they don't think people are watching them and we don't want people to give for any other reason than an act of worship to the Lord. And so we have a box in the back with a little slot and, uh, and you put that in there and, uh, and at the end of the year we send you a contribution statement but the reality is we want that to be an act of worship between you and the Lord and God has provided abundantly for this church all that you see uh, is paid for by people just giving out of the abundance of what God's given them. We've never taken a dime from Parkland Chapel, although they were ready to support us for a year. Um, we actually have plenty in savings to where if God said, we want you to go move and buy your own piece of property, uh, we could probably maybe put a down payment. You know, um, God's provided uh, in many ways for different things, for all the supplies, the equipment, the utilities, uh, improvements that we've made, and for the rent. And so God is sufficient for all that we need. Uh, just in case anybody wants to know, I do not take any compensation for what we do here. I feel called to be here. It doesn't pay me anything. Um, and also anybody that serves here that you've seen do anything, that it doesn't pay them anything either. Uh, 100% of what you give goes to the work of the church. And there's also a percentage that goes outside of these four walls because the body of Christ is not about us. It's about the global work of the Holy Spirit in building the church. And so as a church, um, we've been able to, and we try to as, a, as, a, as an example to lead as a church, we lead in tithing. And so uh, as a church, we try to at least give 10% to other ministries that are sharing the gospel. Uh, we have one in our Jerusalem, in our Judea and Samaria, and to the outer reaches. So we support the Arcadia Valley Ministerial Alliance, and they do works of benevolence. They do a program to hand out supplies to kids at the beginning of the year for backpacks. But they all do it for the sake of sharing the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ with people locally in the community. So that's one way that we support a ministry. Another way we support a ministry is through the Parkland Pregnancy Resource Center. It's kind of staged, and it kind of looks like what we would call like a Planned Parenthood. But it's not. It's a, a resource center where girls that have trouble, maybe they've, uh, you know, maybe they've gotten pregnant out of wedlock and they don't have a husband or a family around, and they can go, and what they go there for is resources. Many of them are wanting to get an abortion to get out of the pain and the hurt and, and not realizing they'll cause more pain and hurt, and they go in there. Those ladies listen to them. Uh, there are men that also lead Bible studies for the, the boyfriends and the husbands. And, but what they do is they, they give them resources, they give them diapers, they give them all kinds of stuff for each time they come in and either go to a Bible study or um, just come in to get counsel. And they support them spiritually, practically. But another thing that they do is for the ones that are coming in looking for an abortion, they, they encourage them, hey, get an ultrasound. Because the statistics show clearly that once they realize there's a heartbeat going on at early gestational age, they're much less likely to take that baby's life. And so it's a place and a space. And, and teenage and young pregnancy is out the charts in our area. It's epidemic. And abortion is as well. And so what we want to do is provide 
through this other ministry, we get to be a part of what God's doing in that area. And so that's in Park Hills, and that's in our Judea, our Samaria. That's in our region, not necessarily just down here, but a little spread out further. And that place reaches, the next place that is available like that is in Washington County in Potosi. They just recently started one. Number three, to the outer reaches of the earth, we have a ministry in Bangkok, Thailand, that we support. Um, He's been here to speak one time, Lance Smith. Um, I did youth ministry with him uh, through the bridge in Lettington, but he was sent out to Bangkok, Thailand. He's planning a church there. He's also supporting other pastors and helping them spread the gospel in Asia in the 1040 window where hardly anybody gets reached. And so um, those are the three areas that we as a church, even though we are small, are able to make a global impact. Um, Church government. Uh, Jesus is ultimately the head of the church. We believe that wholeheartedly. Um, I, as the pastor and the leader of this church, by God's grace, I'm supported and held accountable to a board of elders that are not currently here. They're in Farmington. But these are men that I've known a long time. They have no problem, like Kay, telling me like it is. You know, if I ask them a question or they ask me how I'm doing, uh, they don't uh, beat around the bush. They're straight with me. Uh, They'll call me out on things. And so everybody needs people like that, right? And so they pray for me. They call me regularly. My pastor does as well. And uh, and I'm accountable to them. They always look at the church ledger, the books, and uh, and they, they always ask me how I'm doing and they want to know how I'm doing spiritually as well. And so if they're sin in the camp, then God can't use me, right? And so they want to keep me right. And uh, that being said, one day the prayer is that God would raise up men who have been here, uh, who uh, are called, that would be other leaders. We eventually become, have our own board, get our uh, own 501c3, if that's still around when we do it, to be tax-exempt. And uh, ultimately, we would become like a corporation, but just for the sake of having our own books. Right now, we're under the umbrella of Parkland Chapel. Um, And as God uh, gives the increase, we're praying that he would raise up folks that would be deacons. Uh, My my first uh, ministry in Parkland Chapel as a deacon was uh, by men seeing that I was already doing the work of a deacon. I was... Serving, I was cleaning toilets, I was showing up when the doors were open, taking care of things and looking for needs. And they said, hey, you're already serving as a deacon, you want to be an official role. And so at that point I had an official title. It didn't really add anything other than people knew that I was part of the leadership of the church. So hopefully the Lord will raise up folks that will do that here. Church programs. Kind of coming to a close with the, uh, the details on this, but... As far as church programs, at this point, we don't have any. Uh, Not because they're bad, but because uh, we don't want it to be complicated. We want it to be as simple as possible. And at the same time, we're praying that God would raise up folks that would see needs, that would have a heart to get involved in that need, and that would become the leaders in those areas. Whether it's a change in children's church, whether it's a VBS, I'm praying that the Lord would raise up folks that would have a heart for VBS at one point. Uh, Many families never show up at church. So you have a VBS and then they get plugged in. They see what we're doing. And, uh, and we're praying that God would raise up people that aren't just idea people. Because many churches have people that come up and say, Hey, I think it would be cool if we had this. But then they don't want to help with it. And so rather than just chasing every squirrel that comes up, what we want to do is we want people to know their calling, know the ways that God's gifted them. And then as the Lord lays things on their heart or gives them eyes to see something that's a need or a lack in the church... 
that they'd step up and go, hey, I see this need, and I want you to pray about it because I want to get involved. I want to be the answer to my own prayer. You know, many times God does that. One example is in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 6 where the first deacons are actually set up in the church. And what happens is they saw that there was a, a group of ethnically different people that were widows that were not getting fair uh, delivery from the, um, the way that they were ministering, ministering to the widows. Uh, let me just read what I wrote rather than trying to figure it out. In Acts chapter 6, there were a group of widows who were, according to a certain people group, being neglected in the daily distribution. So they had like a Meals on Wheels for Widows. One of the ministries of the church really is to minister to orphans and widows in their time of need. That's God's heart, to reach out to those that need help that can't take care of themselves. And the beauty of it is that they were, in fact, taking them meals practically and taking care of them. But there was a group that said, hey, wait a minute, there's a group that's diverse as far as their ethnicity is a little different. And so they're not being treated like all the other ones. They're not getting ministered to. And so the apostles got together and they said, hey, this group came and told us that there's a problem in the distribution of the needs of the widows. And so uh, why don't we empower them to be the answer to their own prayer, that they'd be able to go out and minister to the needs of the widows and the orphans. And so they saw the need. The apostles said, yeah, I think that's probably a problem. If you guys see it, get involved. And they said, okay. Next thing you know, that need is met and everyone's being distributed to rightly. And so um, that's an example of what we believe is the model for new ministries in the church. If God gives you a heart and eyes to see it, then uh, you're the one. And if you don't want to get involved in it, it's probably going to just fall by the wayside. And that keeps us from being overwhelmed by things that we haven't necessarily been called to. If you've been called, we believe that God's going to give you the gumption to do it. So, um, evangelism and outreach. Our evangelism plan for reaching people with the gospel is you guys. You are carriers of the Holy Spirit. You have the glory of the gospel lived out and, and, and practically put into your lives by Jesus. And so we want you guys to be equipped and encouraged to go out into the community. And when people ask you what you believe, we want you to have the boldness and the surety to say, this is what God did in my life. He can do it in yours too. That's really all evangelism is. Sharing God's story of what He's done for you and telling other people, if you believe it, God can do this in your life. And it may look different, but God can save you too because He saved me and I'm a mess. You know, that's my story. So, what's on the horizon? In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, I believe this is the verse that God gave me for this year for our church. It says this, Bear one another's burdens, and by doing so, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The perfect law of liberty, the law of love, to bear with one another, to see each other's needs and to get involved. And we've seen that recently. We've been given many opportunities. Uh, I've been given opportunities. People have been bearing with me for years. And now I'm able to, in some way, be the hands and feet of Jesus in other people's life. But that being said, turn to Second Chronicles. Now, I'll try to zoom through this because we're running short on time. But at the same time, I do want to make sure I get my point across. As we were on vacation in California, I was praying because many people asked me, like, how's the church doing? People that don't know we moved down here to start a church, they, they asked me, how, how's Arcadia Valley Chapel doing? And frankly, I don't know how to answer that. I don't, are they asking how many people are coming? Because that's a lot of the time people are like, what are your numbers like? 
Well, I, it depends on the week, you know. It, it can go from 2 to 40, you know, or something like that. Now, that's probably the last two years. It could be anywhere from 2 to 40 people. So they're not usually asking that, although some of them are. Uh, they'll also, I wonder if they're asking, you know, how, how are people growing? Are there relationships with the Lord? Is that changing the way that they live? Are they being transformed by the Word and the power of the Gospel? Uh, and honestly, sometimes I can see the evidence of that. Sometimes I can't. Do they mean um, to ask if people are finding out what their gifts are? and Are they learning to serve the Lord with those gifts? I don't know. And I don't know how to measure how the church is doing. Because the way that we measure things, uh, man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. And I can't see the heart. I don't even know my own heart. Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. No one can know it. But the Lord does. And so he brings the increase. So as I was praying about, you know, how is the church doing? Lord, what, what do we need to work on? Where are the ways that we lack? Where are the ways that we're growing? I was reading in my daily devotional in 2 Chronicles chapter 29. And in this part of the Bible, Israel, 12 tribes in the nation of Israel, they're divided into two areas, the northern and the southern kingdom. In the southern kingdom, there's two tribes, and in the northern one, there's ten. And during this time, Judah has just had a very ungodly king by the name of Ahaz. And in chapter 28, Ahaz is described as a man given to the worship of false gods and idols, of all the other nations that are still neighbors and enemies of God. And as a result of his idolatry, the Lord basically takes his shield of protection off the nation of Israel and allows them to be overcome by their enemies and then even taken basically into a godly timeout into captivity. They're being taken captive by the nations around them. So during this time, Ahaz has this ungodly legacy. But despite that, out of the desert of godly heritage rises up his son by the name of Hezekiah. And the Bible says of Hezekiah, there was no man more godly that was a king in the nation of Israel from the time before him or the time after him. He followed him, the Lord in all the ways that his father David did. Despite his dad being a wicked and a, a wicked man and a worshiper of idols, Hezekiah seems to have a desire to serve God and sees that as the key to restoring the nation back to where it's supposed to be, under the umbrella of God's blessing. I read a billboard the other day that says, said, uh, maybe it was several months ago, it said, uh, God will bless America when America blesses God. And so that's kind of where the nation of Israel was. They had worshipped all kinds of other stuff for so long that God was no longer able to bless them. He can't bless sin. And we know that as parents. We can't condone sin in our family's life. We can't bless that. Sometimes we've got to step back and go, hey, maybe you need to just be given over to your sin until you realize how much you're missing out on. And so that's what the Lord was doing. So Hezekiah, in order to turn the nation from worshipping false gods, wanted to restore them to worshiping the true and living God and Him only. So he set things in order in the temple. And in order to do that, he first went into the temple and he said, I'm going to fix the doors. I'm going to open them up again because they had been closed. For many years, no one went to the temple to worship. And so he put some WD-40 on the hinges. He, you know, sanded them down. He unfroze them and he opened them back up. So but the first thing is the doors have to be opened to the people. The second thing he did is he called the Levites and the priests and he said, I want you people to get right spiritually. 
So he called them and he said, you guys need to make atonement. You need to make offering and sacrifices for your sin. And so they did that. But before they could even do that, they had to go into the physical building and pull all the junk out of the temple because Ahaz had done something. He had put a bunch of idols inside the temple of God and worshipped them there. He desecrated the place. He even had all kinds of storage in there. He made like those easy storage facilities out of it. He's just full of junk. Well, when your heart is full of junk, you can't worship the Lord. There's no space. There's no room. And so the first thing the Lord has to do to restore true worship is to remove all the junk out of the building. Now, who is the temple of the Holy Spirit? It's not this building. It's me. It's you. We are all collectively and individually the place where the Holy Spirit chooses to dwell. And so the Lord says, let's get all the junk out first. So Hezekiah does this. Physically, they remove all the junk. And then they wash the place down. They scrub it. They get out the pine saw. They wipe everything down. And then they start making sacrifices. The sacrifices are the praises. The incense that they burned in the temple, that was like our prayers going up to the Lord. So it started with sacrifice and prayer. So as the people that were supposed to minister to God and be the basically the ones that went to God for the people and went to the people to, uh, to represent God, they had to get their right, lives right first. And that's us. We represent, we are the ambassadors. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, we are therefore ambassadors to the world as though Christ were pleading through us. Be reconciled to God. He loves you. He wants to change your life from the inside out. He wants to restore true worship. And so they, they went into the temple, they made these sacrifices, and then Hezekiah did something that was unprecedented by any other king at that time, even the godly ones. He said, we're going to practice Passover. We're going to celebrate the feast that they celebrated when God delivered them from the nation of Egypt. They killed a lamb, they ate of it, and they spread the, the, the blood over the doorposts so that God, the angel of death, would pass over their homes and, and not kill their firstborn. Because all of the people in Egypt that had oppressed the Israelites, they didn't, by faith, put the blood on their doorposts and they lost their firstborn. It was a warning to them, let my people go, Pharaoh. And so he did. And they passed into the promised land. So from that year on, they were supposed to practice the feast of Passover in remembrance of how God delivered them out of the nation of Egypt. Remembering, hey, this is where we came from. That, that way we don't get haughty or prideful. You know, the Lord says, let's do this feast again. Not because it makes you righteous, but just so you remember, this is where you began. You were in bondage. You were in slavery to sin. And so when they were delivered, they, so Hezekiah says, let's practice that again. Let's go back to our beginnings. Let's remember where this all started. And as he does that, he invites not just the two, the two tribes in his part of the nation, in Judah in the south, he invited all 12 tribes, even though they had been at war with each other. He said, hey, come to Jerusalem. Let's get back to the worship of our God. Let's get rid of all the, the walls that separate us. Let's stop warring amongst ourselves. Let's get back to our God and, and let him bring unity and restoration to our people. Let's be the blessing to the nations that he's called us to be. And so he invited them, which was a godly thing to do, but then he had a little bit of a panic. Because though he had prepared the people that represented him to, to do the service of the work of the Lord in the temple, and he had cleansed the temple, these people were going to be leaving their, 
pagan worship idols. They were going to be leaving bloody battles. They were going to be leaving households of discord and, and dysfunction. And they were going to be coming to the house of the Lord. They were going to be full of filth and sin. They wouldn't be ready to worship the Lord. So Hezekiah does something that to me just points out Jesus. He says, you know what? We've prepared the temple. We've prepared ourselves to receive these people. But we need to be praying for these people that they'd be prepared to worship God in truth and in spirit. That though they haven't made all the sacrifices, that God would cleanse them, remove the idol worship, remove the the filth, and that he would give them the ability to worship God in truth and not be snuffed out because God can't be in the presence of sin. And so what he did is he said, Lord... This people, they have hearts. They're, they're going to come back and repent. But they're on the outside and on the inside, there's a lot of stuff that you're going to have to work out. Lord, he said, prepare their hearts so that they'd be able to worship you and that you wouldn't put them to death because of all the stuff they're still harboring. Their idols are still in their hearts. The junk is still there. They're not quite ready yet. But Lord, I need you to prepare them. Prepare them for worship. And that word there for preparing them to worship, and uh, let me go ahead and find the scripture so you see it, is in Second Chronicles chapter, um, chapter 30. Let me, bear with me for just a minute. Verse 16 in chapter 30, They stood in their place according to their custom, according to the law of Moses, the man of God, the priests sprinkled the blood received from the the hand of the Levites. And there were many in the assembly who had not sanctified themselves. They weren't cleansed. They weren't prepared. Therefore, the Levites had charge of the slaughter of the Passover lambs for everyone who was not clean ceremonially to sanctify them to the Lord. For a multitude of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not cleansed themselves Yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written in the law. But Hezekiah, he prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord provide, and I said prepare, but atonement. May he bridge the gap and make them at one with the Lord, cleansing their hearts. Who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And listen to this, verse 20. The Lord listened to Hezekiah and he healed the people. Though they hadn't done what the law prescribed, the Lord showed mercy. He showed compassion. He said, I see their hearts. They're willing to come to the Lord. They're not prepared like we'd like them to be, but I will make them at one. I will make the atonement. And that's the perfect picture of Jesus because we don't have to get right and then come to God. In Thessalonians, he said, I, I was blessed to see what you guys did because you've turned turned from idol you turned to God from your idols and the Lord accepted you. And Jesus, He fulfilled the law, He made atonement for us, He's the sacrificial lamb, He's the one that can cleanse their hearts and ultimately cleanse their lives. And so my prayer has now become for the church that we would be a place, number one, with open doors, number two, with open hearts to receive those who are going to come in with filth. That we would see people in our community, the people that are less desirable, the people that are, are not prepared to worship, the people that see themselves as unworthy, and to bring them in. Not just by inviting them, though that's important, but by praying for them. 
They don't know that the Lord loves them. They can't, tell, they, they can't help but sin. They've not yet been delivered from the power of sin by Jesus. And so my heart is, is that God would bring people in, but he would use us to do it. And I love what Jesus said in the gospel record. He said this, he said, The kingdom of God is like a wedding feast. And the king sent out invitations to all those who were invited. Just like Jesus sent out invitations to all the Pharisees and the scribes and the people of Israel that were religious. And he invited them. He said, come to my wedding feast. But they would not come. But then, in the midst of that, he said, no one's coming. And he sent out his messengers. He said, I want you to go out to the byways and the highways. I want you to go everywhere where there's people standing. And I want you to invite. He extended the invitation, not just to the the people that we think need invited, he extended the invitation to the people that had never been invited to a wedding. He said, come, all who, you, who want to feast at the king's table, come and celebrate the wedding feast of the Lamb. Come and celebrate that Jesus came, he died, he's calling his church, he's calling them out of the darkness and into the life. God did not call us to make disciples, he didn't call us to, to pull people out of other churches to come to ours, he called us to go and to share the gospel with the lost, the people that have not heard. And there are many in this valley. And so that's my heart. And that's where I believe God is calling us to in this next season. That's where we started. That's where we are. But I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. God wants us to reach the unreached. And, and in order to do that, we have to, we have to, have to, have to get that time with the Lord during the day. Whenever it is you do and say, Lord, I'm in your army now. What are your orders for me today? What does it look like for me to be obedient to your calling on my life? So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this word. It's a little bit unnatural for me to jump out of the scripture we've been teaching, but I just can't help but see that your hand is in this. You've called us to be uh, properly cleansed and prepared to worship when we come here on Sundays, when we lead our families. And then as a result of that, you've called us to be ready in the temple to receive. And you've called us to be representatives in our community, in our workplace, as we go by the way, as we rise up in the morning, as we lay down at night, as we go to Casey's gas station, as we go you know, to Johnson shut-ins, as we go on vacation. Lord, in every aspect, you're desiring to use the decisions and the places that we go to, not just for our enjoyment, although I thank you for the wonderful place we live in where we can enjoy those things, but also because there's a group of people that are not being reached with the gospel who need to hear the hope and the forgiveness and the cleansing and the peace and the joy that comes from a personal relationship with you. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask, fill us with your Spirit. Help us to do as Jesus proclaimed in Matthew chapter 28. To go therefore. And that word means to, as you are going, proclaim the gospel to those who you meet. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey all that you commanded us, Lord. Help us to know you so well that we know what you've commanded us. That we know what you taught. That we know what your heart is for the people that we're going to come into contact with. Lord, spread your light in our hearts so brightly that when other people hear what we have to talk about, hear what we love, that your words would just flow from our lips and that your heart would just emanate through who we are and what you're doing through us. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your story through Arcadia Valley Chapel. 
I pray that you would increase the, the limits, the capacity of this church to reach this valley and the outer reaches for the gospel. Perhaps you would even call individuals to go to other nations and to spread the gospel. But Lord, let it begin with us. Let revival start here. In Jesus' name, amen.